Blog Talk Radio. My name is Raina Starr. Uh, Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the amazing, the wicked, the incredible Dorothy Marson. Thank you to wickedwitchstudios.com. Go there for all of your witching needs. As a matter of fact, it is it is Yule in August. Go get those candles. No, it's not Yule in August. What am I talking about? It is it's Samhain in August. That's what it is. The Halloween limited edition candles are out now. Go get them while you can. Check out the link on the social media page of wickedwitchstudios.com. Tell Dorothy I sent you. So for anyone who may or may not know, I'm going through a potential tragedy that hasn't happened yet. A member of my family is sitting very close to the veil. Um, if I didn't give this, this disclaimer, let me give it now. Desperate House Witches is not a GPG or even an R-rated show. So if bad language, bodily function, dirty talk of any kind might upset you, this is probably not the show for you. I'm going to give a trigger warning. I will be talking about people being at the veil, uh, close to death, passing over the veil. We're going, to, we're going to have a really nice conversation with my guest today, who happens to be the incredible Nathan M. Hall. Nathan is a witch, animist, initiate of the Anderson Fairy Tradition, member of the Temple of Witchcraft, serves on the board of Mystic South, which I always have the pleasure of going to. He's a contributor and editor, editorial advisor for The Wild Hunt, and he is now, of course, a working writer for Llewellyn. The name of the book is Path of the Moonlit Hedge. Nathan, thank you so much for agreeing to be on with me today. Hey, thank you, and, and I'm sorry to hear about, about everything that's going on. I really appreciate that. Um, I felt like... This conversation was going to be necessary for me because everyone who listens to my show knows that the reason I even have a show is so I can learn some shit because I don't know a lot of shit. And at my age, I want to know more shit before I cross over the veil. So I also wanted to thank you for this book because I have to tell you, I've read, I've read a lot of books and your book is so kind in spirit and gentle, just the same as you are as a human being. I know everyone has not personally had the pleasure of meeting you or being in your presence, but you are one of the most decent souls I have ever met. And I've got to tell you, this book is written in your voice, and I thank you so much for it. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Well, it's it's very true. It is a. It felt like, you know, and I've been Going through this situation, my family is beyond old. I mean, you know, when you've got people in their 80s, um, you know, there's there's a certain expectation after a, a fashion of, you know, how much time is legitimately left. We just lost Robbie Robertson yesterday at 80 years old. You know, this is the age group of my of my uh, my family right now, so 80 and up. Um, so, you know, it gives one pause and 
you know, a life well lived is certainly a, a great thing if it can be said that you've had one. Um, yeah, so I am, sure. I am, I am, I am going through a little bit of a struggle, but I, I did feel like this conversation was definitely going to be beneficial. So again, I thank you so much. And um, so for the folks who don't know um, what animism is, can you give an yeah. overview of, of what that is for folks, please? Um, sure. Yeah. So uh, basically, what I have said in the past is, you know, in in workshops and everything, is that animism is um, just a little bit of background about about me. I have like a little like quasi coding, like computer coding background, uh, mostly just in like designing and develop uh, developing websites. Um, so, but it it conveniently just helps me sort of create a definition where it's, you know, I say it's the source code of the universe. It's the, it's, it is the essential uh, building blocks of how everything um, works in, in my worldview. Uh, I know there are plenty of other worldviews, but this is how I see everything because I see every, everything within our uh, universe as being animate, as being, as having uh, a sense of being, or um, a spirit within it. Something. It's everything has this animating charge within it, and and it allows you to do things like create partnerships with them, um, create partnerships with rivers and lakes and uh, you know oceans and frogs. <laughs> and you know one of the uh, one of the things in my in my book that I mentioned is even God's forbid. A PT cruiser. <laughs> so wow, you can yeah you can uh, you can create these connections with anything, uh, really because I I see everything as having this this innate animating spirit and it goes from the very small from like you know quarks or you know very small subatomic particles all the way to you know supernovas and black holes and the universe itself and you know. In my worldview, it's it's you know the the all the universe is is the star goddess um, as we call her in the Anderson fairy tradition, um, and you know we are all part of the star goddess, and that includes everything. <laughs> so even identifying as Nathan, you know I am also part of many things larger than myself and and I always have that as a sort of uh grounding sort of perspective from for me it, it anytime I'm starting to feel too big for my britches I I remember that and it you know, sinks me back down so oh. <laughs> but it's, it's also it's also very elevating I mean it's not it's not sinking me down in a bad way it's just reminding me that I am you know part of something much larger than just me. Oh, that's beautiful, though. I think the idea that you have a way of, of kind of keeping yourself in check, because, you know, sometimes it's, it's easy to make yourself the big picture as opposed to being part of the big picture. Um, can I tell you how I first learned about animism? Sure. In junior high school, it was a really easy jump for me, and the reason why it was was because in science class, I had this amazing science teacher, and he said, 
everything is alive. And we were like, no, it's not. This desk isn't alive. He's like, it absolutely is alive. Do you want to know why? And, of course, we all said why. And he said, everything is made out of atoms. The difference between you and the difference between this wooden desk is how far apart the atoms are and how fast they're moving. And that's the only difference. (laughs) My first lesson in animism, there it was, and I carried that yeah. with me ever since. And that's why it's the only thing that ever made sense to me from a spiritual standpoint. Now, I am Gardnerian yeah. by, by you know, education, but, you know, that at, being an animist is, like, for me, the easiest thing in the world because of that one lesson in, in high, junior high school science class, or what right. they now call middle school. So, yeah. Right, I right. Mean, so, it, yeah. You follow that, yeah, you know. I'm sorry, go ahead. Please continue. No, I was just gonna say the um so people are often like, Well, like how do you how do you like manage having, you know, being an animist and being a witch? And I for me it's like it's it's not even there's no problem there. You can be an animist and be anything. Like animism is yeah. my world my worldview and my practice is witchcraft, you know, and my way of of uh, working with that animism is through my witchcraft. So it's not even, I mean, there are some, I mean, when I've talked to people and I've given workshops or whatever, you know, there are some people that get a little hung up on it. I'm like, just don't, don't even worry about that. Like, just like worry, think about the, you know, animism just being like a change to how you're you know, fundamentally seeing the universe. And from there, you know, if you want to work with that, you can work with that, or you don't have to. You know, you can just be right. sort of an agnostic, agnostic animist, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has a spark of something. I mean, for yeah. me, animism is such an easy and it's And it's only because, I would assume, of that science lesson that I had that it seems to click for me and make sense. I know everyone does not have the same set of teachers and we all don't learn the same yeah. things or even the same way. But What a wise my, teacher to pass that on to you. I mean, not even from a, a magical standpoint, but just so matter of fact, like this is very scientific. Yeah. If you look at how things are made, it's all in motion. And I took the, you know, and of course I made the next, for me, what was the next logical step saying, if it if it's all in motion, then it all has some kind of a divine spark. If it all has a divine spark, it must all be alive and have spirit in some sense of that word. I think maybe that's where people get a little bit hung up because yeah. what looks like an, yeah. what looks inanimate to the naked eye is still a thing that is living and in motion. You know. My my husband's ex sees him because he used to yell at what she called inanimate objects. But somewhere on right. his in his subconscious, he must recognize the fact that somewhere, even though he's a practicing Buddhist, like somewhere in his head, he's a bit of an animist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Because he thinks yeah, it's yeah. him. So it does. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, just stand over, like, you're standing outside and you're trying to get your car started and for whatever reason your car doesn't want to start, don't you talk to it? Doesn't everyone do you know, that? I got to tell you, I when I was driving home this summer, I was at um, 
I gave a couple of work or one workshop at um, uh, Summer Magic up in Orlando, and I was driving oh, home yeah. and I hopped on I hopped on the the turnpike in Florida. And for those not from Florida, um, the turnpike has this really like kind of nasty habit of not having a ton of gas stations on it. Um, so yeah. I I was out of gas when I got to summer magic i didn't move my car the whole weekend and then i'm driving home at the end of it and i'm just kind of you know buzzing and you know on the high from the conference and everything and uh didn't remember that i had no zero gas in my car didn't even register didn't even look at my 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 dashboard (laughs) and uh it wasn't until i was about 40 miles outside of orlando where i was like oh oh my god I am I'm not going to make it. And I can tell you I was talking to my car and praising her and just keeping yep. on all sorts of like loving energy and just being like I yep. know you can do this. We've got 10 miles to go. We've got 8 miles to go. We've got 4 miles, you know, just the whole time talking to it, talking because I didn't want to be walking on the turnpike for 5 miles to go get more gas and then have to walk 5 miles back. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, yeah, I was same, same exact thing. I, I was praising her up and down. <laughs> so, you know, because a lot of the time you think back on something you've done like that and you're like, gosh, if anybody's in here with me, they're going to think I'm fucking crazy. I mean, just plain and simple. <laughs> it's like, I'm not crazy. I think they already it's think I'm fucking happening. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to ask. No escaping that for me. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. I am too, and I'm, but I'm, pr- I'm proud of it though. I, I tell everybody yeah, I'm, I'm nuts. I'm very clear about who I am and my level of psychosis. <laughs> I try to be super honest about the fact that you know, I feel like we're all on a mental health journey to a certain extent. We've all got shit sure. that we're dealing with. You know, Nathan, as a matter of fact, before we went on the air, Nathan and I were talking about, you know, how. You know, there's a lot of conversation now about ancestral healing, and, you know, we were talking about the fact that we know very few people, if I can speak for you, we know very few people who haven't had some kind of ancestral damage, generational trauma. Um, You know, we, we talked about the fact that, you know, most people, you know, I said, listen, I'm 61 years old, about to be, I can give you on three fingers the number of people that I know who didn't have severe damage or abuse. Um, It's very rare. We are are the common, not the exception. We are the rule, not the exception. And as screwed up as that may sound, I think it gives us all a level level of commonality that we've tried to avoid, you know, until the the last 10, 15, 20 years where we're now able to feel more open about of it, you know, and, yeah. you know, you, you you touched on in the book about, well, you touched a lot of things, and the book is really, it's such a, it's such a kind, kind book. You know how there are writers that just kind of like jump, it's like they open their brain and they just dump it all on your head, and it's like, here you go. <laughs> that is not this book. This book is like you're walking with a sibling, and that sibling is holding your hand and having this conversation with you, 
it is very much in Nathan's voice, which I, as you've heard me say, I completely adore and appreciate. And I think you guys will too. Thank you. Because I like it when someone speaks with me as opposed to at me. It's a it's a very different voice, and it's it's so appreciated. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going through a really rough time, and you know, with my family right. being, you know, one of my relatives is she may or may not pull out. We don't know. Um, could be yes, could be no. She's not responsive right now. Uh, kidney damage. Um, supposed to be on dialysis. Uh, skipped a lot of it, which you're not supposed to do. Um, wound up uh, hospitalized just for this past 14, 14, 18, no, 14, 12 days. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're just going through these motions now with, you know, trying to reach out. She's in that liminal space. She, she's somewhere between here and there. She's, you know, what I refer to is, is kind of, when I talk about hedge riding, it's, it's about, you know, being in those liminal spaces, but it's also about one minute being on one side of the fence and the other minute being on the other side of the fence, you know, and yeah. and that kind of that kind of travel between the worlds. And, you know, I think sometimes when we're very sick, we go to a place that's somewhere in the middle and we're trying to make up our minds possibly which side is calling stronger. What do you think about that, yeah. Nathan? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I just I want to send you my, you know, my love and sympathy for your situation, for the situation your family is going through. Um, it's it's a, it's never an easy thing, even when you have, you know, in your worldview, you don't see death as a final uh, destination or whatever. You know, like many many of us in the witchcraft world, you know, see it beyond see beyond death. Um, and into either, you know, multiple, you know, lives or reincarnation or what, however, however you look at it, you know, um, it's the great mystery, but um, it's still hard. And we, as, you know, as, as people living in flesh, I feel like really need to acknowledge um, and recognize and just appreciate that it is hard and it is, it, you know, as much for the person who is going through the process themselves, they're on their own journey. And right. and we, you know, frequently are just trying to be supporting their journey. Some people, you know, have a reaction. You know, I've seen in my own family where my, my grandmother was, was passing away. And, um, you know, my I had family members who were, like, just yelling at her not to go. <laughs> I'm like... That is the, yeah. the antithesis of what you want in that situation. But, you know, so we're right. all, you know, we're all, we're all trying to, to navigate this space. But I, I feel like, you know, as witches, uh, some, maybe some of the best work that we can do is, is in that liminal, you know, where, where we become comfortable crossing different boundaries. And, you know, I do that through a lot of uh, deep journey work and meditation and you know it's it's you know in some ways it is in preparation for my own passing, but it's also just um, just becoming familiar and and becoming you know learning to try to open up my heart 
to, you know, love the journey wherever the journey leads. Um, and that's that's the, the the hardest part for all of us is as we see people going through the journey that we don't want to lose, and then as we ourselves are are going to eventually be going through that journey as well. Um, yeah, it's I mean, but it's there's there's no I I don't think there's any getting around it. It's it's always difficult, you know, and no matter how how prepared you've been or how you know how much you've worked mm-hmm. with it. I think. I admire people a lot who um, who are death doulas um, because yeah. of the the amount of, of that they've invested into that work, and it's I I have so much uh, respect for people that that do that work and people that work in hospice as well. They have a, a they, most of the people that I've I've met who've had that you know working in hospice or being a death doula or whatever it might be that have that very close proximity to death seem to have just a, a groundedness about uh, living and, and even a joy uh, that, that they experience in life that, that other people struggle to achieve because it's, they're so close to it. And, and, you know, they know <laughs> they, they have that, they have the frequent encounter with, with death as a, as a, as a personage or as, as something that moves, you know, as a, as a moving entity through our lives, you know? Um, so, but yeah, I, I'm, but I, and I, I just, yeah, I'm very sympathetic to, to what you're going through um, because it is, it's always hard. It's never, it's never an easy thing. And there's nothing anyone can really say that makes it easier. You know, we can just try to comfort through the process. Yeah. You know, I almost lost my husband a year and a half ago. He was in a terrible car wreck, and he pulled through. And, you know, I just – and I saw my selfishness in that moment because everyone's everyone's trip around this is really unique and personal and should be respected. And while I could recognize the necessity of it at certain points for – for pretty much every, I mean, because we're all going there. It don't matter. Yeah. You know, we can go yeah. screaming or we can go gracefully. I hope I go gracefully. I'm just not ready yet. <laughs> but, yeah, me too. You know, I hope for, I do too. <laughs> for, yeah, you know, I mean, for a spouse, it's really hard because it's like, you know, you've, you've built a life with this other human being and, and you know, yeah. there's that. And then, it's of course, it's never easy, but you, you try to respect another person's journey and and I'm you know I I talked about shadow work you know I thought I had done it and then my husband's accident happened and I thought well okay maybe you know I went through it then but apparently shadow work I am learning is a continuous thing and you never fucking complete it so sorry, yeah I was no, it don't, it don't stop. It's shitty, but it doesn't stop, and it's necessary to get some kind yeah. of fucking enlightenment, and I'm still trying. Um, so yeah. that's, you know, let me let me dissuade you of the notion that, that shadow work is a thing you do and then it's over. Uh, yeah. No, I was quite wrong. <laughs> I was hopeful, but I was very wrong. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I'm trying to not put my feelings on on my my aunt's journey. My mother is actually older and quite honestly I am I'm trying to be 
supportive, but, you know, when an older family member starts for forgetting everything all the time uh, and you constantly have to remind them of the reality of the day, uh, that's yeah. been really, really tough. So my sympathy to everyone who's got an elderly oh, yeah, family member that you're caring for, it's, it's really kind of rough. You know, in my situation with my spouse, I was very lucky. My spouse did, in fact, pull through. Um, but we're older, you know. When you start getting older, you start noticing shit. It's not to be all doom and gloom, but, you know, I just want people to understand the reality of, you know, we're all going when we go, and sometimes we have to take our hands off and say, you know what, this isn't my decision. You're going to have to make that decision. And, I'm, and you know, and there's always going to be part of you that says, don't leave me. I don't yeah. want to be left without you. And that's a very hard, it's a very hard thing to admit. And it's a very hard oh, thing yeah. to work through when you're going through a journey with somebody else. So, you know, Nathan was kind enough to say, do you really want to do this show? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of need you. <laughs> he was kind enough <laughs> to say yes anyway. So, you know, part of going back to, to discussing you know, ancestral issues and, and generational trauma. I had asked you earlier, and I wanted you to to, to speak on this on the air, um, mm -hmm. because when I think about, you know, when my, my family still lives where I come from in New York, and I have real fears about going back to New York because I have very few memories, certainly no great memories of my family. And I was asking mm -hmm. Nathan, you know, specifically about, because he mentions in the book about spirits getting trapped on occasion in certain spaces, certain places. And my question was, do we actually have the capacity to trap? I took a look at my old apartment building because Google Maps Street View can get take you anywhere you want to go. So I went to look at my old apartment building in my old neighborhood, and everything looks exactly the same today as when I left it 40 years ago, over That's 40 wild. years ago. <laughs> and it's weird because every time I look at this one particular, yeah, it looks exactly the same. Even the old, my old uh, middle school looks exactly the same. My elementary school looks exactly the same. It's very, very strange. It's yeah, how many places can you say that about anywhere? Very, very few, but there are pockets yeah. of Queens, New York, that look the same now <laughs> as they did in the 70s. And some of those yeah. businesses are literally still there. I, it blew my mind. But every time I look at my old apartment building, it brings up all of the shit that happened to me at the hands of my father. So my my question was, did I have I trapped him there, or is it just my visceral reaction to that space? Um, I want to be I want to be very careful how I respond because I don't know the full the full scope of of everything that you've experienced, and I want to be respectful of of everything that you've experienced. Um, and also, um, I want to say, like, I, I spent a good part of my book talking about healing journeys and about, um, yep. you know, doing shadow work and, and, and stuff like that. And 
I want to just also say that um, if you, if anyone is in a is in a crisis, the the appropriate place to go is to a mental health professional. Um, and like I, I I look at the work that I do in this book as being like potentially supplementary to a sure. healing journey. Um, yeah. I just don't want to be you know saying like you know I'm some kind of like healing guru. I got I got plenty of shit. Let me tell you. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Um, I know it. Me too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, my first response in hearing what what you know, describing the situation and describing how um, seeing this place is is triggering a response in you is that maybe yeah. there's healing work within yourself that still needs to be done around that. Oh, sure. Um, and, and maybe not that, that there's any necessarily, you know, part of you that's trapped in that place. Uh, more, mm-hmm. any more than, you know, it's trapped in that place within you. So when you when you uh-huh. see it, it triggers a, you know, a visceral response within yourself um, uh-huh. that, that you know, it's like touching uh, an old wound or something um, where, you know, all of a sudden it just lights up that whole collection of experiences and memories and, and maybe things that you've pushed away because, because you don't, it's uncomfortable. You don't want to experience it, and it's it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel um, comforting, or maybe even safe. Um, so I would say, like you know, start there, you know, and and see, you know, just you know, in my in my book, I'm I'm very much I, I advocate for um, taking things slowly which I know does not appeal to a lot of people um, just because of our culture. Our culture is like, I need it. I need it now, you know? And um, so my, my process is like, if this is feels like you're going too far, if you are having a particularly negative reaction to the experience that you're going through at this point, stop, pause, revisit at a later date, and if you yep. need to consult a professional about it, you know, pull them in. And, um, you know, I there's no shame. Like, there, I know that there's, you know, when I was growing up, there was a huge stigma around mental health that sort of Absolutely. I saw crumble over, over the course of my teens and 20s. You know, and this was, this was in the yep. 90s and early 2000s where suddenly it was just, yeah. it, it started to become acceptable to talk about um, mental health and to talk about needing help, you know. But, yeah. you know, I, I, and it took me having, you know, some pretty hard conversations with my family members and getting them to go, you know, seek some kind of treatment for the stuff that they were carrying with them, you know, for so long. And that they were ashamed of, but couldn't actually, uh, you know, they were more, somehow they were more ashamed to admit that there was a problem than they were to, you know, like, you know, deal with it or whatever. It was, and and I know there's a lot of uh, generational stuff in there too. Um, So 
I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, all of these things sort of build on each other and, and we have these, and speaking of ancestral, you know, traumas, like there is documented evidence. You know, it's, you know, scientifically proven that, um, that, you know, a generation of, of animals, of, of any living thing that experiences some sort of stress or trauma event in their lives, um, and then they they figure out some sort of coping mechanism, whether that's a good one or a bad one, that that can biologically be passed on to the next generation. So, you know, your stress hormones at, you know, when you were, con- you know, your parents' stress hormones when you were conceived impact how your genetics have manifested and, and play out throughout your whole life. Um, and... And it's it's a wild like when I heard that I was like, well no duh, but also oh my god like that's crazy you know mm-hmm. just to think about you know and it it started to like when I started to when I when I learned about that and then I started to look back at my own experiences and pull on some of the threads of you know problems that I have in my own life, um, and then seeing it oh well you know, here's this problem in me, and then there it is in my father, and then there it is in my grandfather, and then there it is in my great-grandfather. And and it originated with him, but his trauma was from something else that created his behavior that then was passed down, you know, through, you yeah. know, five generations. <laughs> so, oh, absolutely. And I, I, I totally agree with that because you know you you talk about your your growing up time was like the 80s 90s and mine was yeah. like the 70s 70s 80s so you yeah. know it it the further back you go the less you hear about people talking about mental health issues just like you said it's exactly like you said and yeah. it's so true because back in that day if anyone even thought you had a problem, you got slapped with the label of crazy and right. put away. I mean, there, there were yeah. not there were not so many people you could go and talk to unless you had a whole lot of money and a whole lot of discretion uh, because people yeah. did not want it out that you were quote unquote. And this is what this is the term they used back in the sixties, seventies that you were somehow mentally defective, which is the most horrible way to think people about something that has been happening to people since the beginning of time. I'm sorry. I think every generation has handed down um, some piece of something that came before, and I think we add our own shit to it as well. I mean... Nathan, right or wrong, you're a parent as well. Isn't this something you think about as as someone who is who is taking care of a a youngster or or a generation yeah. coming after you? Because I'm the parent of two, and yeah. I already know and see some of the generational trauma that I know came through me. Because where else is it going to come from? What are your thoughts yeah. on that from a parenting standpoint? Yeah, it's something that you know. I did not actually think that I was ever going to have a child. <laughs> it mm-hmm. was it was not it was not in the plans until much later in life for me. And um 
so it was you know when i when we made the decision to have have a child and you know uh it was oh boy now we've <laughs> i really have to get serious about some of my my stuff you know like yep. i had i had a lot of of um depression because of repressed anger and uh you know and i needed i needed to work through all of you know and and it's not something you just work through you know it's it was there's a lot of healing and a lot of like self-awareness that you need to develop um to even start working on that kind of stuff and and it's not as you were saying earlier with shadow work it doesn't end it's it's endless you know it you you go through healing journeys like as as a human the the best thing that we can accept is that we are going to be healing from many things throughout our whole lives it is actually part of the experience of being human and trying to deny that from ourselves um it number one it 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 cheats us out of an a full experience of what it means to be human um but if and if we're denying it then we we get very damaged behavior and we you know and we either treat ourselves or others or both in ways that are you know from an outside perspective unacceptable you know it would just be if you were if you were to see other people behaving you know in certain ways you'd be like well that's clearly not an acceptable way to you know treat your child or whatever the case may be um so i had a lot of um a lot of soul searching around that i was fortunate enough at the time that i was i was taking a you know i was i was going to see a therapist which i've had i'm hit or miss on on talk therapy um it works great for some people other people not so much i don't i get a little bit out of it but but i'm i'm so navel gazy already <laughs> that i'm like <laughs> hearing hearing somebody echo back what i what i already know isn't helpful so you know i i get right. i go back like i said i just go back and forth on it but i was very fortunate sure. at the time to have you know embarked on my first like organized um witchcraft education with uh the temple of witchcraft and and it wasn't like there was anything necessarily addressing what i was looking to address but having that structure and and being able you know to work within a structure of any kind while i was trying to do this you know deeper healing and self exploration um was really very potent for me and you know especially when i got into there's they have a mystery school so in the in the third year of it it's it's all about it's a the shamanic journey so you get you do get it, start getting into more healing uh modalities and things like that uh which was very helpful and um by that time you know i think i think my son was already was already born um and and i was you know going through you know i was sort of going through this like the healing year of the temple of witchcraft as as my son was like you know just being born taking his first steps and everything like that so um but it was very helpful for me 
Right. Yeah, I just want yeah, to say, from the, Nathan and I, no, go ahead. We, just want to, we just want to express the fact that while, you know, therapy, talk therapy is, may, may or may not work for he and I, we, we still encourage folks that that is Absolutely. a great place to start. Absolutely go yes. ahead and start there. Um, you know, as you go through different types of therapy, as you go through different folks that you that are potential therapists, you have to find someone you're comfortable with, obviously. Um, yes. What works for one does not work for all, so we just wanted to make that super-duper clear during this yeah, conversation. Sure. And, and, and if you don't mind, I also wanted to give a shout-out, Temple of Witchcraft, uh, Christopher yeah. Penzak, <laughs> who we both respect and adore, who also wrote the foreword to Path of the Moonlit Hedge, which yes. is yes, fabulous. Go get your copy. Fucking <laughs> um, but seriously, it's it's a beautifully written, kind, gentle book. You know, Nathan was talking earlier about, you know, we want it now, we want it now. But you're really big on baby steps and taking it slowly and not incurring more damage to the self. And I think it is so important because we have this, you know, instant gratification need that with mental health and and issues that we go through is not necessarily the right path. I know everyone yeah. wants to feel better instantly, and but unfortunately, the kind of psychological damage that a lot of us are subjected to, there is no instant fix, right? Right, for sure. Yeah, so, so um, yeah. yeah, definitely want to echo what you're saying about the talk therapy. You know, I'm being I'm being very candid, but um, <laughs> about my own personal opinions, but and my experiences. Yeah. But um, but um, you know, there was a point where I think there's the one thing. One thing I will say is that a lot of people will say, "Well, that won't work for me," without ever even trying it. You know, right. and without ever giving it a fair shake, you know. And so I went, you know, I, I, in spite of, you know, whatever uh, I said about, about it in the first place, the, the reality is that I, you know, went to talk therapy for about 20 years. So, you know, it, it may be that I just got to a point where I was like, okay, I've sort of internalized a lot of the methods that are that are utilized within talk therapy and oh, and maybe that say. made it you know so you know i've always i've always wanted to go to a Jungian, like a uh therapist mm. um because i i understand yep. that their approach is, is is pretty unique and um and i love you know a lot of the writings that jung has but um I've always wanted to to go to a, a Jungian therapist just to see the you know because it feels like it would be totally new for me you know and mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately in Florida there are not very many <laughs> I think there might be yeah. one around Orlando somewhere but yeah <laughs> yeah I I lived in Florida and and finding I used to live in West Palm Beach when I was married to the father of my children and um, that's where I am I was lucky enough. You're in West Palm? Yeah. Oh, cool. That's where yeah, I'm calling from right um, now. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I used to live in West Palm Beach. It was it was quite quite amazing. Um, 
<laughs> and I also have trauma from that too. It's a long story, but yeah. anyway, I needed. I mean, I was going through postpartum depression, and I was fortunate enough to find a great therapist. And you know, as I talked to my therapist, she was like, "Well, you know, I think you need couples therapy." So I, I mm. dragged my ex-husband in, who was miserable and didn't believe in therapy. He believed in heavy drug taking. It's okay, right. Dad. I can talk about him. It's okay. He <laughs> knows he deserves it. Um, but you know, sometimes therapy works. Sometimes therapy is yeah. just an outlet. Sometimes therapy yeah. can help with a new perspective. And sometimes therapy, sometimes therapy needs help, like medicated therapy. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I that's, have no problem really... admitting that I that I yeah. do myself, you know, because yeah. doctor prescribes, of course. Uh, I'm not just yeah. out here, you know, doing whatever. Um, but I, you <laughs> yeah. know, sometimes just talking isn't enough. Sometimes witchcraft isn't enough. Sometimes you need yeah. medication, and there is no shame in my game about it. So I want right. everybody who feels like they need to have something or talk to somebody. Do the things, whatever gets you yeah. to where you feel like you are functioning and that you can yep. be okay, do what you got to do. And I will support you Absolutely. 110% on it, whatever it is. But there's no shame yep. here. There's no, we're embarrassed to talk about it. That's not this show. That may be somebody else. Well, that we're, we are know. clearly not embarrassed to talk about it. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I think people, people need real support people need to not have that terrible shame that was yeah. given to our previous generations i mean yeah you know there's, there's such a burden and you know life is so different now and so much heavier now and things are so crazy now uh in ways they weren't before so i think people need much more support than they used to don't you yeah yeah and I think, I mean, off of that, I would say, you know, a lot of, in terms of needing more support, I think um, this is, you know, sort of the subtle or, you know, sub-rosa, beneath the rose, uh, call within my book is is yeah. uniting around the idea of community and re reigniting that as something that is vitally important because we as humans, you know, we evolved this way. We evolved to be within community. And I feel like we are now operating in such compartments and we are so, you know, each of us so hyper-individualized that we can't even comprehend what it means to act within community. And, and that's, um, that's something that I, you know, has been, when I realized, you know, what some of the deeper underlying uh, things that I needed to address within my own life, it was having a sense that there are other people out there who are, you know, first of all, familiar with my experience and know what I'm going through. Um, and then secondly, would be there to support me you know, and and I would do the same in return. Um, and it's, you know, community is not, you know, again, it's not an answer to mental health, but community, you know, having no community, I think, creates a mental health um, issue on its own. 
Um, you know, I'm, and there, you know, there's been studies in in rats who um, there was a really great article, and I, I I might even reference it in the book, but it's it was from the Sun, uh, the magazine called the Sun, and they had an an article about uh, this this study that was done called Rat City, and in Rat City, they had all of these, you know, rats that were living in community with each other, and um, they they allowed these rats, you know, they were they were rats that were from like laboratory testing, you know, really awful stuff, and yeah. and they brought them to this this really nice um, enclosure for them to live in, which was spacious. They all had lots of room. They had green space. They had space to move around and play. And and then they had a, a place where there was medicine. There was some sort of, um, I think it was an opiate of some, some sort. And they found that as, you know, when the rats were first introduced to Rat City, they would just beeline it straight for the opiates, sit there and hit, 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 hit that, you know, all the time. And then as they adjusted and, and began to experience what Rat City was about, um, where it was, you know, where they were not being aggressed, where they were not being compartmentalized, where they were allowed to interact with one another, you know, because rats are very social animals. Um, it started to change their behaviors and they you know, they would slowly move away from the the medicine bottles until by the, you know, by the end of their experience or by the, you know, however many you know months or whatever it was into it, they were not going to those medicine bottles at all anymore because they were feeling, they had a sense of, I mean, I'm speculating, uh, fulfillment or, sure. um, you know, that they were, you know, at the very least we can say their needs were being met in a way that did not require them to look to medicate themselves from the pain of their existence, you know. Um, and it was a really, yeah, I'm probably getting some of the details wrong on this because it was years ago that I read, I read this article, but it was, it was so moving to me and it spoke so much to the human condition for me where I was like, we need, we, we are people in, you know, <laughs> all of us are in this trauma of living in these like hyper individualized lives where we have no exposure to any of the things that actually make us who we, you know, make us human. Um, right. So it was a really, yeah, it was a, it was an amazing article and um, yeah, I, I just took that with me for, for a long time. Yeah. You know, the idea of, of not needing substance, you know, it's it's substance over 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 other substance, as it were. Um, yeah. You know, the idea that, that you can soothe without medication, you know, in some respects has become a really foreign thought process. It's like, you mean I can let this go because I can have a sense of wellness from within myself through yeah. you know being around my people, as it were. And it's true. I mean, you know, when you're feeling blue, you want to go talk to that friend that makes you laugh or you want to talk to yeah. You don't want to be stuck in that. That's why we still talk to our friends about 
all of the things that bother us. I mean, that's why I'm having this conversation yeah. with Nathan, because Nathan's being super supportive where, while I'm going through this really, you know, sad situation in my life, as so many of my friends have been so supportive, and I'm so appreciative to all of you. But, Nathan, in the short time we have left, I don't want to yeah. be remiss in my duties and not talk about um, what, you, what you're working on since you've got Paths of the Moonlit Hedge already out there. Um, I'm sure yeah. you're writing something <laughs> to follow this up with, if not several somethings, because, honestly, once you've read this book, you're going to be like, okay, where's his next book? So let's go ahead and talk <laughs> about that a little bit. What have you got coming okay. up? Because there's so many things that you touch on in this book that you yeah. could have taken into full books on their own, I think. So For let sure. me shut up and let you talk. Go ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's, um, you know, when, when, I po- when I proposed this book, it was to, you know, I pitched it to Llewellyn and, and then we said, you know what, we love it you need to cut it in half and the first half will be sort of an introduction and the second half will be um will be a deeper dive so you know the there is a second book that i'm writing right now and um it because of (laughs) the very i was on a super tight timeline while also um working on mystic south and uh trying to do my first book launch um, so I ended up asking for an extension. So it's not coming out probably, I would guess, until early 2025. Um, it wow. may come out okay. earlier, but I, I doubt, I doubt it'll see the light of 2024. Um, I'll, I'll be finished within 2024, but it's the, the publishing process is, it moves at its own pace, you know? <laughs> Um, yes, we could say that. But I'm yeah, sure. so you know, <laughs> yeah. So the next thing, is, I mean, it's it's definitely, as you said, it's going to be a deeper examination of some of these things that I touched on, um, and it's probably going to be a little bit more personal. Um, okay. It's, I mean, like I, I I feel like I I got pretty personal in in this book, um, but mm-hmm. I I feel like my my way of of sharing of of taking people through a journey is by sharing my experience of my own you know so um i'll probably dig deeper into um many of the elements that i've you know that i that i touched on and and hopefully that resonates with people um <laughs> um my writing is very like like I, I intend to have uh, it, it be a little more essay, essay based. There will still be exercises and things like that, but um, I am very influenced and always have been by contemplative writers. Um, so that's that's sort of like my where I love to to sort of you know that's my sandbox. <laughs> Um, but in the meantime, um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'll be, I'm doing a few, uh, I've done a few conferences this, this year so far, and, uh, I've got a couple more coming up. I'll be at, at the Temple of Witchcraft, the Temple Fest, 
that's happening in in Massachusetts in September, um, I think third weekend in September. Um, And I'm really looking forward to that. Um, You know, I, I, like I said, I, I owe so much uh, of my personal journey to the temple. So being asked to come back and, and teach a couple workshops is it feels like um, sort of, you know, returning a favor that, that, you know, that they gave me so long ago and that Christopher gave me so long ago. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that. And I, you know, it's, I'm excited and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nervous and, and all of that. I'm probably way more nervous about that, you know, presenting there than I, than I was at, at Mystic South. And Mystic South is, oh, feels no. like, you know, home, home base to me. <laughs> so, right. Um, but, right. But, you shouldn't be nervous at all because you're you're fantastic yeah. and your writing is fantastic <laughs> and you know the book speaks for itself it. it really does and again you are you know we've all we we're all going through things but your 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 heart shows through it it really does I mean I was so I impressed that. and taken with this book and I'm I'm so excited about it and I hope everyone gets a copy of it because it really is kind and and respectful of the individual. You do share your stories, but you also recognize that people have to be met where they are, and that comes to right. me in the book. It really does. It's, so, it's, it's just fantastic. And I'm, again, so appreciative that you came on to spend this hour with me, and I'm certainly Thank looking so forward much. to having you back. Thank you. It's, you're just a joy, and I hope everybody comes out and gets half of the Moonlight Hedge. It's a great book. Nathan M. Hall, and thank you again for being on with me. I, I can't wait until we talk again. Thank you so much, and, uh, and, and best to you and your family. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Um, I don't know what's going to be happening as far as my family goes. I am supposed to have a show on Saturday morning with the beautiful and wonderful Arisanya Moon. Um, I will keep everybody updated. Obviously, if we're not here at 7 a.m. on Saturday, um, it will be because I am traveling. But other than that, please go get Path of of the Moonlit Hedge. It's really a great gesture. Take care, everybody. I will talk to you soon. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.